listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. It is not a bad day out there. Sunny, nice, doesn't look like any precip. Nevertheless, if I leave the house, if I leave the studio and go out in the streets, I'm wearing a raincoat. I'm wearing a raincoat. I'm wearing maybe some rubber gloves. You know, as a matter of fact, until they catch this guy as chucking the feces, I'm going to wear a full hazmat suit every time I leave the house. Because I just don't think I can take a chance. And I was just checking. I was Googling, you know, as you do. Turns out a full hazmat suit costs you about 75 bone. So I'm on Amazon right now. Get that Amazon Prime. Not leaving the house unless I am completely covered in plastic. Until they catch whoever is responsible for now a third, a third incident of fecal matter being flung at people. I, that is gross! Oh, my God. It is gross. Morgan Campbell, our global news reporter, is standing by with an update on that. We are also going to talk about addictions today and what is an addiction. You know, you hear the term chucked around, thrown around, if you will. But what does it really mean? Because I I hear people talk about video game addictions. I'm addicted to eating pizza. I'm I'm addicted to shoes. Is that a thing? Is that something that actually you can be addicted to? Or are we just sort of making that word almost meaningless now? And how does the body actually react when it is truly addicted? All of that is coming up, but we begin with work to rule, because teachers in Ontario's public elementary and high schools have now begun administrative work to rule campaigns. And the attempt here is to put pressure on the Ford government at the bargaining table. Bargaining is still ongoing. But the unions have decided that they are going to put extra pressure. And in fact, here is the email blast that came out from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario this morning. Gives you a sense of what the motivation is here. Quote, EDFO puts government's feet to fire with work to rule strike action starting today. Feet to fire. Meanwhile, the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, says contracts can be achieved if both sides are reasonable and called the work-to-rule actions, quote, regrettable. This escalation to a partial withdrawal of services, including targeting math supports and report cards, hurts our children the most, said Stephen Lecce in a statement. Now, during this work-to-rule, high school teachers will not complete ministry data reports or participate in ministry or school board-driven professional activities, That's on the high school side. On the elementary side, there is no participation in EQAO and some other things and other administrative duties. Teachers were handing out information, little sort of cards today, little pamphlets, standing outside of schools as kids went in and parents went by. Here is teacher Carlos Tavares this morning at Don Mills Collegiate. Yeah, we're handing out pamphlets to inform the public uh, of what the issues are, at least the issues that we uh, see, and we want them to know what's going on with the education cuts uh, in terms of safety, equity, and access to the programs that students need. 
That is a teacher this morning uh, on an information picket, handing out uh, information and pamphlets to parents and to students as they came into school to try and explain what work to rule is all about and what does it mean. Now, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, which is by and large the slightly more militant of the two unions, if you're looking at both high school, which is OSSTF, and then elementary, which is ETFO, Uh, It has in the past been more militant, has gone out on strike, and has uh, begun labor action without any notice at all. They can't do that anymore because there is a new provision in the Act that says you have to have five days before any job action begins. And ETFO gave the five days, and here we are. We are underway. Sam Hammond is the president of ETFO and was speaking this morning on Global's Morning Show to our host, Anthony Robart. And here is something interesting that he had to say about not impacting students. We've been very careful uh, in terms of implementing this work to rule phase one, that it's, it will not affect student learning or students, uh, the environment for that student learning. And we've done that specifically because we've got a lot of support from parents across the province and we've been listening to them uh, and it will be all administrative uh, issue, items that are withdrawn uh, to, as of today. Did you hear what the key takeaway from all of that is? A lot of words strung together there. What's the most important thing? What did you hear? You know what I heard? I heard phase one. Phase one. So talk all you want about not impacting students, and there is some discussion. I mean, the Ministry of Education says, well, this does impact students. Well, you know, the union says it doesn't. But keep in mind, phase one of keeping the government's, or rather putting the government's feet to the fire. Put a little more coals on there. Toast up those feet. Here also, here is another clip from Sam Hammond, and I want you to listen to this because what in the world, what the heck does all of this have to do with the education file? We can't afford to waste $231 million on getting rid of green energy projects. Frankly, we can't afford $1.8 billion in corporate uh, tax cuts. We can't afford to break a beer store contract that could cost up to a billion dollars. There's not a deficit problem here. There's a revenue problem, quite frankly. Real quick, in the few seconds that we have, are you prepared to strike? Uh, we haven't determined this. Yeah, we haven't determined that yet, but but our members across the province are prepared to do whatever it takes right. to get a deal that's fair and respectful for students and uh, their their profession in this province. That is Sam Hammond, who is the president of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, which has begun work to rule today with teachers in elementary schools. And what was the takeaway there? A couple of things: the government doesn't have a spending problem. It has a revenue. What what is that? And what does all of that have to do? The green energy and all the rest. I mean, basically what Sam Hammond is saying there is that, yeah, okay, sure, the government has passed legislation that says it's going to cap wage increases for public sector employees at 1%, but it's not about the spending issue. It's not about the deficit. That's not what's important. And then look at all these other things they're spending money on when they should be spending money on education. That's a bit of whataboutism. That's a bit of trying to move the conversation to something that it is not, which is what kind of financial compensation should teachers be getting? Because, you know, the, the union understands at the end of the day, if the conversation is about teacher compensation, they're going to lose. They'll lose public support. 
what they have to do is they have to constantly reaffirm that this is about teachers or rather about students and about safety and all of those issues. Not about the money. It's not about the cash. I wonder how you feel about that. Here is the head of the Secondary School Teachers Federation. This is Harvey Bischoff talking about the work to rule in secondary schools. The government has unilaterally moved to remove thousands and thousands of educators, support staff and teachers from the system. They've unilaterally imposed mandatory e-learning. Um, and we've said that the education system should be status quo to the quality of education we were able to deliver just last year. So those moves that they're making just haven't got us to where we need to be. So things should remain at status quo, which, of course, if you asked last year, status quo was horrible, was terrible, the worst thing ever. And now we're bargaining to keep status quo, apparently. And then you hear Harvey Bischoff talking about e-learning. You might have heard last week that the Minister of Education scaled back and walked back two of these online courses that they said that the government was going to have to impose and then admitted two. So there's been a concession on the part of the government. There's no, there's no admission of that at all from Mr. Bischoff, at least not in that clip, saying that it's not that at all. So... I guess the question really for parents, as you, as you take all of this in and you think, okay, well, I'm not going to get comments on report cards, I'm not going to get math supports, I'm not going to get EQAO, I'm not, there's some things that are not going to happen here. And how much longer is it going to be before there's an escalation in all of this? And I will tell you, it's not going to be long. So things are going to come to a head pretty quickly here in this province on the education file. We're going to stay on top of that for you. Oh, oh my goodness, this story is just so gross. It is it is a revolting story. And not only that, it also prompts within, I think, all of us, you know, a, a sort of a, a nine-year-old boy reaction. That is gross! Toronto police say there has been yet another incident involving someone throwing feces at another person at the University of Toronto campus. Officers were called to College Street, just west of University, shortly before midnight for reports that a bucket of feces, a bucket of feces, was dumped on a female victim. Now, Monday, police had released a photo of a suspect in the first two assaults that were taken for surveillance camera footage. These were at the two libraries, both at York and also at Robart's uh, Robart Library, pardon me, at the University of Toronto. In the footage, the suspect appeared to be carrying a bucket. The man has been described as in his 20s, medium build. He was last seen wearing a black hat, blue top, light-colored pants, and black gloves. Now, the suspect in the third assault has been described as a black male in his 30s with a medium build. He was wearing a yellow hard hat, blue shirt, and gloves. And police do believe it is the same suspect responsible for all three incidents. And police are saying that that person, when found, could very well be charged with assault. Here is the mayor talking about the poo thrower. 
You just can't understand why anybody would go around and do this kind of thing. Uh, I just hope that uh, people support the police in trying to track this person down. Uh, this is a person to me that has some very serious issues, uh, it would seem, but the most important thing is that the person be tracked down. And if you look at the number of people who seem to have been in the libraries when these things happened and reported on what they saw and experienced, um, it may really help the police if they come forward with every single bit of information they have to help the police get this person uh, you know, off the streets and, and, uh, and, and find a way to bring them to appropriate justice. That is Mayor John Tory talking about a third now incident, third reported incident of feces being thrown at somebody in Toronto. I'm just hoping this doesn't become a viral thing. Like it, it's all of a sudden now it's a TikTok issue. Everybody's making TikToks of chucking, chucking fecal matter. That is gross! I, you know what? I don't put it past Gen Z. Don't OK Boomer me either on that. Here are some of the students... Some of the uh, people who are at U of T talking about the incident. It was almost like fictitious in how absurd it was. Like some guy actually came up and dumped feces on another guy. Dude. Um, kind of makes me want to avoid the library right now. If a person like that can get in, whether it's a student or an outside person, that is a safety concern. People can get sick from getting feces thrown at them. Yep. That's an issue. Yep. That is 100% true. Hundo P. <laughs> See, I told you, it's going to bring out the grade nine kid in it, or, or the nine-year-old kid and everybody, you know, just making poo jokes and... Hey, listen, listen. Fart jokes and all of that. But it's serious. And I'll tell you who's seriously looking into this is Morgan Campbell, who is our global news reporter, who is doing the story on this today. Hi, Morgan. Hey, Ellen. What's the latest? Uh, you got any update from cops on us for us? Yeah, you know, I, I just spoke with a constable um, about an hour ago. So what we know right now is the Home Depot bucket that was used in the assault yesterday is being tested right now um, forensically. They're not just looking for fingerprints, Alan, but they're actually testing um, the fecal, what appears to be the fecal matter. They say it looks like fecal matter. It smells like fecal matter, but they clearly need to make sure that, you know, it isn't some other type of substance. So that's being tested right now. They're hoping to pull some type of, of DNA. They also, you know, I know this is super hard to talk about freely because it is very disturbing and disgusting, but they don't even... Has the CRTC no. cut her off because she's being too gross? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Are we, we just you just dropped out there for a moment. You want to you want to give me that last bit? Unless yeah. it was too gross for did somebody <laughs> did somebody bleep no, her? No. I don't know. <laughs> no. It's 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 the let me the human waste. They they don't quite know exactly where it's coming from, right? So I, I have a suggestion. Well, I mean, you should call Toronto Police. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just know how the body works. I got a guess on where the human waste came from. But there seems to be a lot of it. Um, oh, man. Like, I know you're you're picking up what I'm putting down here, Alan. <laughs> they don't know if maybe it's somebody who went to, like, a construction site and went into an outhouse. Ah. Or if... So it's, it's volume. You say that there's a lot of volume involved. You are perfect at this. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. That is gross! Oh, that is so gross. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? Um, it's, it's, it's quite sad, too, because when I was speaking with police, they were saying that 
it is so traumatizing when that happens because it looks like it, it smells like it, and it's happened to you that the that the victims in this case, by the time they even get a chance to pull themselves back together, the suspect is gone. So they do know, though, they believe, at least, that, that it's the same suspect in all three different occurrences. And we do have that surveillance video now. We do, and um, I know you, you put out a description earlier, but you want to know what's really interesting about this, Alan, is they've actually decided the university campuses to print out pictures, almost like wanted posters, and they've pasted them all over the campus so that everyone can keep their eyes out for this individual. Normally, when police um, share these images, right, they're sharing them online, on social media, they're sending them out to, to members of, of the media. Um, but in this case, they're actually, they've printed hard copies and put them up um, across the campuses, both at uh, UFT and York University. Wanted for crappy behavior. Signs all right. around the universities now. Morgan Campbell, Global News reporter, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. I want to move to a tragic uh, case, uh, an accident that happened yesterday on Don Mills, a, where a 17-year-old was killed in a car crash. And our Catherine McDonald has been looking into this because it does appear that the speed was an issue in all of this. And Catherine joins me on the line. Catherine, what have you learned? Yes, I've been speaking with investigators this morning, uh, and they are looking at a number of factors that may have been involved here. Um, Certainly speed is one factor they're looking at. They're also looking, let's just go back. This was a northbound Mazda 3 on Don Mills Road. There was a southbound taxi turning left onto uh, a street right here at Barber Green Road. Uh, it's actually called Greenbelt Drive. So it's turning left, and uh, investigators are trying to figure out whether speed or this uh, cab turning left was at fault. So they, are, uh, they do have video surveillance, they tell me. Um, they also uh, are going to be uh, looking at the vehicle black boxes from both vehicles to, to, to determine how fast these, these cars were traveling. This is a 17-year-old seven, passenger. What, do we know anything? Do we have an identity yet? Right. So, so what we know is there were four passengers in the Mazda 3 that spun out of control, hit a light standard, and in the back seat, in the passenger back seat, was a 17-year-old girl. Police now say the driver was 17. Um, I have been digging into this because... You know, it seems like this is a high school tragedy, and in fact, I've learned that uh, the passengers are students from Mark Arno Collegiate, which is just south of where this crash happened. Um, and the young woman who was killed, we have learned, uh, my, I have learned her identity. Uh, I've confirmed it independently. Police have not released her name. Uh, she was a young woman named Simona Begarova. I just came from speaking with her heartbroken mother. Uh, these are uh, Slovakian refugees. They came to Canada in July of 2018. And Simona was attending school. She was in grade 12. Um, uh, they still have yet to get their refugee status, but you can imagine this was the beginning of a new life. One of five children, uh, her mother said two of the older children remained in, in Slovakia, and all she could say to me through tears and through a translator was she went to school and she never came home. So it's heartbreaking. And uh, I asked her, have you spoken to the other passengers? She tells me that Simona was in this car with her boyfriend and another young woman and her boyfriend, and she said they were just going for lunch. And the other three uh, walked away with minor injuries. They, they all lost consciousness. So uh, it's up to police now to figure out exactly what went wrong. 
I just want to play a little bit for you from Sergeant Jason Kraft with Traffic Services talking about the debris field and what it indicated to him. Looking at the debris field and my experience behind me, it, it does appear that that vehicle hit that pole at, uh, at some speed. It, it does, obviously, early in the investigation, Catherine, but from everything that witnesses have seen and the video of the incident there, it does appear that that car was traveling at an excessive speed. Based on the, the stories, uh, these fatalities I've done over the years, I'm sure that they're going to find that out when they do download that black box from the Mazda. And again, you know, this is this may end up being a case of a young driver, an inexperienced driver. If he was 17, he he, he wouldn't have had he would have had a G2 license. Uh, and you know, of course, with that comes a lot of responsibility. And you know, this is such a tragedy. Perhaps this is a, a case. And again, this is not confirmed because police are still trying to figure out exactly how fast that car was going. But it, it may turn out to be a case of a young driver and an experienced driver who was going way too fast. Catherine McDonald is Global's crime reporter and is looking into the story. And thank you very much for being on the program. You can see Catherine's story tonight on Global News. Thanks, Catherine. You're welcome. All right. Obviously, a very tragic story and something to keep in mind. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you may not be a teenager, so you may have some experience. I know that myself, just driving recently in the last couple of years, maybe in the last 18 months, I have decided or at least changed my attitude about driving. I do not take chances like I used to, and maybe that's just a question of being older and wiser, or maybe it's just that it has become so harrowing on the roads recently. People just seem to be so short-tempered and in such a hurry that it seems more and more dangerous, not just for pedestrians, because we've talked a lot about the issues with pedestrians and how unsafe it is in this city to be on foot, to be a vulnerable road user, but it is also increasingly unsafe to just be in a car. And it's something to keep in mind. Unbelievable story coming out of Texas. Welcome back to the program where a Texas woman is dead now after being attacked by feral hogs. Feral hogs are not native to Texas, but they've practically overrun parts of the state, destroying farmland and front yards. And near Houston, a woman has died as a result of exsanguination due to feral hog assault. Bleeding to death from an attack. Chambers County Sheriff Brian Hawthorne says 59-year-old Christine Rollins was found outside the home of an elderly couple she cared for. A fatal encounter is extremely rare, but Hawthorne says it graphically illustrates the danger posed by feral hogs. Just tells me that uh, everybody needs to stay away from them. Jim Ryan, ABC News, Dallas. I don't know if you need to really tell me to stay away from the feral hogs, but obviously, wow, that is tragic and unbelievable. And keep in mind, folks, that it is not limited to the United States. Here in Ontario, we have a big issue with this as well. This is from the London Free Press. came out in mid-October. London Free Press reporting that hybrid super pigs, super pigs people, massive ravenous wild hogs will eat almost anything and are a looming problem in southwestern Ontario. The result of crossbreeding between wild and domestic pigs, this invasive species has been spotted throughout the region, confirmed sightings in Windsor to Brantford and up to Huron County. And just in October, two photos of wild pigs were posted on social media. It's an invasive species originally brought to North America in the 1980s for meat production. 
This according to an associate professor at the University of Saskatchewan. The original boars were bred with domestic pigs to boost meat production, but created larger, stronger animals. The heftiest topping scales at 640 pounds. The wild pigs are now found throughout North America, with sightings in more than 40 U.S. states and four Canadian provinces. And now we have a death in Texas because of super pigs. That is, that is some terrifying stuff. You watch any sports last night? The Raptors beating the 76ers, holding Joel Embiid scoreless. Remember him from last year? Joel Embiid, this is the, this is the clown that does the uh, airplane move. This guy? Clown. The Raptors are still perfect on their home court. I love cheering against the 76ers, by the way. Remember at the beginning of the season, many thought that they would contend for top in the East with Milwaukee. Hasn't turned out that way. The Raptors are ahead of them. Raptors holding Joel Embiid to zero. Zilcho. Goose egg. Oh, how you feeling about that, Joel? I would have never thought I would be here, you know, talking about zero points in, a, in an NBA game, but it is what it is. Some nights you make shots, some nights you don't. Uh, some nights you're hot, some nights you're cold. Yeah, and last night you were ice cold, my friend. What is it going to take? For the Raptors to get some respect from the league. And this is why I'm talking about this. is the Yesterday ESPN came out with their power rankings. The Raptors don't even make the top 10. Don't even make the top 10. And we are undefeated on our home court. And two of our starters are out with injuries. You know, forever in this town, in this city, us Raptors fans were saying, you know, what is it going to take to get some respect? And, and the answer always was, the only way you get respect is you win. Well, last I checked, we're champs, and we still don't get any respect. It's outrageous, and it makes me angry. You know what makes a lot of hockey players, or rather hockey fans, angry? It's something that happened in 2013. Today is the actual anniversary of that deal between the NHL and Rodgers. A 12-year, $5.2 billion deal giving Rogers sole national multimedia broadcast rights to all the hockey games. Of course, there's a sublicing agreement that has Hockey Night in Canada still on the CBC, but it's still, it is all Rogers slash Sportsnet. And the conventional wisdom is that $5.2 billion for all of that was probably about $5.2 billion too much. Because it has crippled Rogers, We have seen now the broadcast be sort of cut away with all kinds of talent being let go, and not just those that have controversial things to say on Coach's Corner, but others. It's been a bit of a bloodbath for talent at Sportsnet. And I think a lot of hockey fans out there say, it has hurt the game. And certainly, it doesn't help when the most populous part of the country, Toronto, has a team that just can't seem to get it done. Welcome back to the program. What is going on with the former owner of Papa John's Pizza? John Schneider is at it again. The notorious founder of Papa John's International has lambasted the pizza chain publicly for the second time in as many months, naming a handful of executives that he said should be jailed 
while calling out the new chief as having no pizza experience. You see, he, he was pushed out, so he's not there anymore. But I want you to listen to this mashup, a little kind of a clip here. He does an interview with a local news station. And first of all, to see it is, is something. To, to say that he is sweaty is an understatement. He looks like he has been greased by his own pizzas. And then listen to this claim. I've had over 40 pizzas in the last 30 days. Living currently in Mark Shapiro should be in jail. He has no pizza experience. He's never been in the pizza category. I would just say stay tuned. The day of reckoning will come. The record will be straight. Why not set the record straight now? I mean, what is it about the record that's not straight? (laughs) Stay tuned. He's getting biblical up in there. The reckoning. Some nights you're hot, some nights you're cold. <laughs> Joel Embiid just weighing in there after Joel Embiid with the 76ers posting a goose egg in terms of points last night. Not that I'm celebrating that, but but let's get back to what, how many pizzas in how many days? 40 pizzas in 30 days? I'm going to suggest that's not healthy for a person, especially not Papa John's International Pizzas. That is gross! It is gross! And after he'd taken to this interview that was broadcast originally in Kentucky, the company shares have now slipped as much as 1.5% in trading today. The company has not immediately responded to the claims that the pizza is terrible now. Although, if you eat 40 of them in 30 days, you're going to look greasy. You are going to be sweaty. Can you actually be addicted to pizza? I mean, is that what's happening here? Maybe the man is just addicted. And that brings us to our next topic. What do we mean when we say, I am addicted to blank? I'm addicted to buying shoes. Is that something that is an addiction? I'm addicted to playing video games. Is that an addiction? Can you be addicted to cannabis? I'm a pothead. I'm addicted to pot. Is that, is that something that actually can happen? Megan Cauley is a global online journalist and joins me in studio, and she has written about this fascinating article, which is online right now, all talking about the science of addiction, how our bodies get hooked on drugs, alcohol, and other things. Megan, always great to have you here. Hi. Hi, how's it going? Good. What what does the science say about how our bodies actually become addicted to things? Yeah, so I'm definitely not a scientist, but I talked to one. Uh, Her name is Kim Hellman. She's the chair of the neuroscience department at Carleton University up in Ottawa. And she said that actually we don't know very much about what's happening in a brain when a person is addicted. What we do know or what doctors believe might be happening is that there's a region and a circuit in the brain listening for when we engage in highly rewarding events. So things like having eating tasty food or, you know, nutritious food, our body rewards us for that because it's contributing directly to our survival. So this goes way back to when we were like cave people, these circuits in our brains. But what happens when you have something like alcohol or drugs is those also target that same circuit in your brain. But your brain doesn't know that it's not nutritious food. It's actually a life-threatening drug. It's still firing the same way. And what happens is it starts to make you think that you your body needs this item for survival. So the next time you know you you come down from your high, you don't have that drug, your body says, we need to get that drug back in our system 
so we can survive, even though these drugs can actually do the opposite sometimes. We obviously know about things that are clearly addicting. I, I think of you know, opioids, for example, clearly the body then craves more of it and you need an, uh, more and more and more to be able to achieve the same result. But when we start talking about alcohol, tobacco, and then we move into some kind of other grayer areas, can we be, can people actually be addicted to the, some of the things I was just talking about? It's interesting. I think um, the jury is still out on that, but doctors are pretty confident about cannabis. Uh, the rates are low, but they do feel that People can become addicted and and um, rely on that substance, but they do want to they do want the general public to stay away from saying things like "I'm so addicted to shopping" or "I'm so addicted to this TV show" because what it can do is trivialize the word "addicted" and um, further contribute to the stigma around having addiction on the whole, which is already really bad for people who are actually struggling from addiction. Sure, it does seem like the word is almost meaningless the way we throw it around. It's kind of similar to when people say, oh, I have OCD about my pantry and my kitchen. I need it to look exactly this way. Some people have clinical OCD. That's a real thing. But to just throw that term out there sort of trivializes what it actually means for people who suffer from that every day. Right. So maybe we just need a different way to talk about this when we talk about things like, you know, I like to shop for shoes. I mean, we have to have a way to say that that doesn't trivialize what some people are really suffering from. Right, because it begins to draw addiction in the light of a choice. Um, And for people who are genuinely addicted in brain and body, it's not a choice for them. If they could make the rational decision to just go cold turkey, stop using heroin or whatever it is that they're addicted to, I'm sure most of them would want to do that. But it's not a rational choice that they're making day by day. Again, it goes back to that circuitry in their brain. Whereas if you are just, you have a problem with buying too many shoes, that you know, is it really comes down to your own self-control. Sure. And and this is something that happens in my house with, with my two kids is occasionally they'll say things like, well, I'm addicted to video games, dad, which is why I have to keep playing Fortnite because I'm addicted to it. And you realize, well, I don't think that that's actually the case, but what's the science actually say about things like video games? I mean, there have been lawsuits against Fortnite saying that it is designed to be addictive. Yeah, it's really interesting. Same with cell phones, right? You hear a lot of people saying, I'm addicted to my phone. I can't put it down. I wake up, I'm on my phone. I go to bed, I'm on my phone. I think doctors, where they're at right now with this science is that they know the same circuits are firing in our brain when we use these these products. So video games make us feel good. They are very rewarding and they do have that addictive quality. I don't think the medical community is prepared to say that you can have a genuine addiction to that in the same way you can be addicted to something like alcohol. But I think there, that that research is currently being conducted right now. And again, I think we, we, we run into problems just with the vernacular and just with the words that we use. So it's almost as if we need one word for clinical addiction and another word for something that is so highly rewarding that you can't seem to stop it, but it is not clinical addiction. Right. So I thought it was interesting. The Center for Addiction and Mental Health defines addiction as the presence of four things, a craving for it, a loss of control of the amount or the frequency of use, a compulsion to use and use despite the consequences. So I think that's really interesting because I do think that somebody addicted to Fortnite, you know, quote unquote, addicted to Fortnite 
could maybe stop using if you went into their room and said, if you don't get off this, I'm going (laughs) to, you know, there are going to be consequences. It's not like they need it. They feel like they need it to live. But I I do think the science is still out on, on what's actually happening in our brains there. Megan Cawley is a global news online journalist, and you can read her story about the science of addiction. It's online now. Megan, always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much. I wonder if you're addicted to buying lottery tickets. Is that something that that you think you can be addicted to? Uh, if you buy a lot of lottery tickets, do you obsessively check them? Because this news just out of Quebec now, Lotto Quebec is looking for the owners of five winning tickets for prizes over a hundred grand, including two of them, which are going to forfeit their winnings if they don't come forward in the next few days. This is this is one of the reasons why I don't buy lottery tickets. One, I think it's a tax on the dumb, but two, because I never remember where I put the thing, and I never remember to check it. And I live in fear that this is the kind of thing that's going to happen to me. I'm going to get one for Christmas, a stocking stuffer. I'm never going to pay attention to it, and it's just going to. And the, the hundred grand is just going to go away. You know, the Provincial Crown Corporation in Quebec also says that a $500,000 and $250,000 prize have yet to be claimed. And that half-million-dollar winner expires on November 30th. The quarter million goes on December 1st. So here's here's my thinking. If you have friends or relatives in Quebec, do yourself a solid. Call them and tell them to check your tickets because you might get paid. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this hour. I'm on my way to Don Mills, where you can catch me on TV tonight, starting at 5.30, simulcast on this radio station at 6 p.m., and then I'm back again here in studio again tomorrow at noon. Have yourself an awesome afternoon, and please, just steer clear of anybody with a bucket. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying?